Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Good morning, church. Today, God speaks to us through through his word from Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, Psalm 33, verse 6, and Psalm 104, verses 27 to 30. Genesis 1, Ang mundo noon ay wala pang anyo at wala pang laman. Ang tubig na bumabalot sa mundo ay balot ng kadiliman. At ang Espiritu ng Diyos ay kumikilos sa ibabaw ng mga tubig. Psalm 33, Sa pamamagitan ng salita ng Panginoon, ang langit ay nalikha. Sa kanyang hininga nagmulang araw, buwan, at mga bituin. Psalm 104, Lahat ng inyong nilikha ay umaasa sa inyo ng kanilang pagkain sa oras na kanilang kailanganin. Binibigyan niyo sila ng pagkain at kinakain nila ito at sila ay nabubusog. Ngunit kung pababayaan niyo sila, matatakot sila at kapag binawi ninyo ang kanilang buhay, sila'y mamamatay at babalik sa lupa. Nalilikha sila kapag binigyan mo ng hininga at sa ganoong paraan, binibigyan ninyo ng bagong nilalang ang mundo, ang salita ng Diyos. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, one of the beautiful uh, aspects uh, of our church is the reality that we have people that come from many different backgrounds, many different walks of life, many different nations. Uh, and so it's always a blessing to be able to hear God's word uh, spoken in languages that may not be familiar to many of us, uh, but praise God for the ways that he's working all over the world. Thank you, Gemma, uh, for reading today. Um, this morning, we are beginning a new series uh, that we are entitling NUMA, Understanding the Work of the Spirit. Uh, for the rest of the series, uh, or for, I'm sorry, for the rest of the summer, uh, we'll be looking at the importance and the significance of how the Holy Spirit works within us, amongst us, and all around us. Uh, and the reason why we're focusing our attention on the work of the Spirit is because we've felt compelled to put together uh, a series on the Holy Spirit in large part because the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, the third person of the Trinity, uh, is often misunderstood. Uh, and beyond that, I think it might be uh, safe to say that not only is the Spirit uh, often misunderstood, but also the holistic and far-reaching work of the Holy Spirit is not often realized or recognized. Uh, scripture does make very clear the ways in which the Spirit works, but the nature of the work of the Holy Spirit that we'll see over the course of the coming weeks uh, is a work that's often not center stage. Uh, and so because of that, we can miss that holistic, far-reaching work of the Spirit of God. Additionally, what I hope that we're able to do through the series over the next five weeks uh, is also to clarify what we believe uh, the Bible teaches concerning some of the more debated uh, topics uh, in the Bible uh, on the Holy Spirit. Uh, particularly, uh, we want to have a very robust and biblical perspective and understanding uh, of things like the baptism of the Holy Spirit and uh, the Spirit and the extraordinary gifts like speaking in tongues and miracles and healing and prophecy and spiritual warfare. We genuinely hope and pray that we're able to bring a measure of clarity 
around what are often challenging, difficult topics. Uh, and so you can look out uh, in the coming weeks for those topics in particular. Uh, now next week, we're going to take a look at the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. And while there's much to say about the uh, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit through the extraordinary gifts, one of the things that we, of course, need to wrestle with is nothing about the extraordinary and the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit really matters much unless we first are understanding how the Spirit's working amongst us in our salvation. And so, again, we're going to consider that uh, in depth next week. But I draw out those two things, salvation and extraordinary gifts, really for uh, one reason— because depending on what your maybe experiences uh, are with, with the church, so maybe some of us grew up in the church learning certain things, uh, maybe you're new to the church and so you're just discovering and learning uh, kind of in real time the various things that the Bible uh, has to teach, or maybe you don't come from any faith background at all, maybe right now you're still processing what you believe about the Christian faith, more than likely when you've heard about the Holy Spirit, you've heard... Uh, depending on the church tradition that's maybe influenced these, these thoughts, you've heard about the Holy Spirit in relation to salvation or the extraordinary gifts. Meaning, you, maybe you've heard about the work of the Spirit uh, in the ways that the Spirit draws us to salvation. Or maybe you've heard about the Holy Spirit really only because you've heard people talking about things like miracles and speaking in tongues and prophecy and the like. And those things are going to be important for us to consider. But before we get to any of those there is actually an emphasis in Scripture around a work of the Spirit that I actually think often very much gets missed. Because those two emphases on the Holy Spirit, salvation and these extraordinary gifts, uh, are really, uh, there's something actually even more fundamental that the Spirit is doing. And that's what I want to focus on today in the first part of this series. And what I want to consider is the reality, the most fundamental thing that we see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit does is that the Holy Spirit is engaged in and works in a very creative nature. That there is a creative and cosmic work of the Spirit that I think too often we miss. But it's on that work that so much else begins to take shape as we understand the work of the Spirit. So to begin, we're going to consider the creative cosmic work of the Holy Spirit today. And to do so, we actually need to go all the way back to the beginning of the story in order to understand the Spirit's work in creation. And as we do that, understanding the Spirit's work in creation and how the Spirit has been working within creation since the very beginning, I actually find it incredibly helpful and encouraging to know that the same creative work of the Spirit at the beginning is also the same creative work that the Spirit continues today and it's the same creative work that the Spirit will continue to do into eternity. And so to understand that, I want to take a look at creation past, creation present, and then creation future. Right, let's understand those three things to try to understand a more holistic understanding of the Spirit's work. So first, creation past. Uh, I want to take a look at uh, the first two passages that we just heard read in Genesis 1 and uh, Psalm 33. And so to begin, let's, I want to just consider a couple of biblical words, uh, a couple ideas so that we've got, a, we've got them in front of us. We're going to unpack some theological ideas. So I'm going to ask you, particularly for this point, to stay with me because we're going to get down into the weeds for a little bit, but I promise those weeds are going to be very uh, helpful going forward. Okay, so first, uh, we won't actually say much about this word pneuma today, but in Greek, 
the word uh, spirit that we use spirit is the Greek word pneuma. Uh, and so for obvious reasons, that's the title of the series. Most of the series, we'll be looking at passages in the New Testament, uh, which, again, when referring to the Holy Spirit, uses that word pneuma. But in the Old Testament, uh, there's another word that's used for the spirit, and that is the uh, Hebrew word ruach. All throughout the Hebrew Scripture, the Holy Spirit is called Ruach, which is at times translated also, not just spirit, but also breath or wind. Often when the, the writers uh, speak of God's breath or a divine wind that comes, they use the word Ruach. Uh, this is important because what we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit is constantly at work all throughout the Holy Spirit. And there's much that we can learn about the work of the Spirit when we understand uh, that the, the writers are speaking of the Holy Spirit, particularly in creation. That said, look at, the, look at our two passages again. Uh, I, wanted, I included these two passages because they give a very, very small sampling of how the Old Testament speaks of the Spirit's work. But first, in the very beginning of the Bible, we see this uh, Ruach in Genesis 1. Right? If we could put that back up. What you'll see there is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. Let me pause there. So in creation, we see the Holy Spirit at work in that creation. But then look at uh, Psalm 33, verse 6. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the Ruach, the breath of his mouth. In other words, the breath of God, the breath that made the heavens and the starry hosts, is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. In Genesis, we are told that God spoke and said things like, let there be light. When God spoke the sun and the moon and the earth and the water and the sky into being, it was the breath of God that did so. The Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, at work. Another worthwhile thing to note in Genesis 1 is that uh, the name given to God there, which is that word Elohim, uh, this title for God speaks of God as this infinite and almighty one. But here's what's interesting about Elohim. I told you we were going to get in the weeds for a minute. Elohim is actually a plural noun. There is a singular version of that word, Eloah. So the question is, why does the Bible use this plural noun of this title for God. Uh, is the Bible speaking of multiple gods when using this plural noun? Well, important to note that the Jewish people would have found the, that idea deeply offensive, that there would have been multiple gods. They were fiercely monotheistic. So then what are we to make of this plurality? Well, some scholars, when, uh, especially Jewish scholars, when looking at that plurality that we see uh, listed, or we see uh, in that title, rather, Elohim, would say that it's simply emphasizing the glory of God, meaning that this plural that we see here is just referring to God's glory upon glory upon glory. And so that's what it's trying to emphasize. But when we consider the rest of what the Bible teaches about the nature of God, we can actually see the triune God present right here in creation. In fact, in Genesis 1.26, when God makes humanity, uh, do you remember uh, how that takes place? God says, let us make a man in our own image. 
plus, to throw one more curveball in there, Colossians 1 uh, speaks of Jesus, actually, at creation. The Son of God at creation. Colossians 1 says that for in Him, Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So, just to highlight this, you've got the Trinity all of whom present are at present at creation, including the Spirit. What exactly, then, is the Spirit's role in this work of creation? Well, again, track with me for a minute. Right? The triune God is here at creation, and the Spirit takes a particular role in that creation. What is it? Well, in his book, uh, A Public Theology, or, I'm sorry, no, The Spirit of Public Theology, uh, Vince Baycoat, who's a, a theologian, he's taking a look at all the different ways that theologians have tried to systematize this very uh, difficult idea and topic. And so he's looking at various uh, theologians, people like John Calvin and Abraham Kuyper and Herman Bovink and Sinclair Ferguson and a whole bunch of super smart people, trying to synthesize all of their thoughts into um, a really understandable and tangible idea. And so I want to just give you some of his thoughts because... I actually think if we can get our heads around it, it's actually wonderfully breathtaking to know how God has been at work in creation. And again, it actually will end up speaking much to our own um, practical lives today. But this is what uh, Bacote says, and I've got it up for you to follow along with me as I'm reading it. Right? Again, track with me. Here we go. So Vince Bacote says that the divine energy, Ruach, describes God's personal extension toward an active engagement with the creation. More specifically, according to Genesis 1-2, the Spirit's hovering presence establishes cosmic order. The activity of God in creation extends the divine presence into the world for the purpose of ordering and completing what has been planned in the mind of God. Right, so the Spirit, let me pause there for a minute, the Spirit brings order where there is chaos. But then he goes on to, uh, to show that based on passages like 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 11, that we should make a very clear distinction about the persons of the Trinity in creation for this reason. Right? This is how he articulates it, as Scripture teaches. That the Father is the power of initial generation or creation. The Son is the power or arrangement of or, or organization. In the Spirit, the power of perfection. In terms of the biophysical order, the Father spoke and produced the material of creation. The Son formed and ordered creation, and the Spirit's role is to bring the potentialities of creation to their most complete end. I know this stuff is not for everyone, but I love this stuff. This is so good. The God of creation is an almighty, all-powerful, triune creator God who is transcendent and above creation, not creation itself, and yet by the Spirit of God. Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God is present, the presence of God in creation, leading to its potentialities. And here's why all of that matters. That same Spirit that brought cosmic order from chaos the one who since the beginning of time has been bringing to fruition all that was set in the mind of God 
is the Spirit of God, the divine presence, who is also with us, doing the same right now, within us, through us, and throughout all of creation. Right? When we can understand the power of the Spirit's work in the cosmos, it ought to really leave us in awe that that same Spirit is at work in us, working through us. Which brings us not only, not only to consider creation past and what the Spirit has been doing, but also creation present. How does this actually now play out then? If the Spirit's at work amongst us now, what does that look like for us? Let's look at that, secondly. Uh, Psalm 104. Let me reread um, that for us. Verse 27 says this. It says, All creations look to you uh, to give them food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. When you send your spirit, they are created. And the spirit of God is being described here as the source of life, including the very spirit that is within us. Our breath is a life-giving breath because it is the breath of God gifted to us. Uh, Numbers 27 and Job 27 and Job 33 in various places, they all speak of God giving breath, ruach, to all living things, including you and me. Our spirit, the essence of what makes us human and unique in creation is the reality that God's spirit is in creation and working within us. We are not some animated statue, but rather we are created with potential and capacity and abilities that are unique only to the human race. And the distinction that is made between us and all other creation that does not possess those same potentials and uh, capacities and ability is the presence of the Spirit. Now one of the uh, more remarkable consequences of that reality, the fact that the Spirit of God is working within us in a particular kind of way, actually very much starts in creation but continues today. Because back at creation, because humanity has been endowed with a specialness as those uh, who have been made in the image of God, God gives a blessing and a command to humanity that nothing else in creation receives. And that's found in Genesis 1.28. I'll, I'll read this to you, but listen carefully to what the command is to Adam and Eve. In verse 28 says this, And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, right, here's the, the blessing and the command, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Right, this is what we call the cultural mandate. It's God's command for humanity to go into his creation and to subdue and to cultivate that creation, to bring some measure of order to the seeming chaos that exists in creation, to develop it. And why are we able to do that? Why do we have the capacity and the ability to subdue creation, to cultivate creation? Well, it's because the divine presence, the Spirit of God, Ruach Elohim, the one who brings order from chaos, is working amongst us. And as a result, it is wild to think about 
But as a result of this, we are called to be what some have described as sub-creators with God in this, in this world, in this creation. Now, it's, of course, important to make the distinction that we are not creators like God. Right? God creates uh, in a way that um, is referred to as uh, ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. We cannot create something out of nothing. But rather, we are these sub-creators that are able to take what God has created and begin curating it in ways that brings us what we experience in this world. God has left the world full of potential for us to unearth and develop. And by his spirit, we are able to do so. That's why we experience the world the way that we do, because the spirit of God's been at work. And think about it in just um, very practical ways, right? At minimum, think about the fact that in our very bodies, normatively, we are designed to create new life. Right? That, of course, is not unique to humanity, but it's remarkable nonetheless. We are able to join with God in the creation of new image bearers, physically. I mean, that alone is a remarkable thing. But even just beyond procreation, all throughout history, humans have created and developed and expanded the experiences of the world. They have curated the, the, the bare essentials and uh, elements of this world, brought them together, curated them in particular ways that has brought remarkable progress amongst humanity in the world. Every generation is consistently blown away by what subsequent generations are going to be able to experience because of this great potential that we have to curate creation. I mean, just imagine trying to explain to your great-grandparents chat GPT. I mean, just in like two gener a generation or two, I still can't even get my head around it. I know I've referenced that numerous times, still can't get my head around it. But just imagine what we've accomplished as humans. It's remarkable the way that we've curated the world in which we live. We have a remarkable capacity. And that capacity, again, is the Spirit of God at work. Now, what's ironic is this was actually one of the, the great failures of the Enlightenment. Uh, on the one hand, the Enlightenment it highlighted the greatness of humanity. And it's out of that Enlightenment that we have all the scientific uh, explosion that we've had over the, the recent centuries. We are capable of so much. And so in that sense, the Enlightenment got it right. Humanity is remarkable. But on the other hand, the consequence of some of the Enlightenment is that we began to reject the very source of that greatness. The reality that there, uh, there is, we are nothing more than simply curators of what God has created. Our greatness, our ability to do the things that we have done in this world is only a gift of God. It is rooted in the one that many have actually tried to reject and to ignore. And yet despite such rejection, because God is faithful, he continues to work. He continues to work in us. He continues to work through us, amongst us, because we are his special creation. And that includes all creation, not just Christians. Another important piece to note. You know, of course, Christians are not the only ones that have created this world in which we live. Right? The curation of, uh, of uh, creation is not something gifted only to Christians, but all of God's uh, special image bearers, Christian or not. In fact, uh, Matthew 5 gives us some interesting insight into how God seems to work, even amongst those that rejection. And Matthew 5 says this, that 
God, he causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Meaning, God is at work. God is blessing both the righteous and the unrighteous of this world. This is an idea that we've considered before, but it's the notion of, of common grace. That there's this kind of grace that God gives all of his creation, whether Christian or not, that holds the world together, restrains evil that would easily destroy all of creation. It allows for this continued potentiality and possibility that allows you and me, Christian or not, people from a variety of different faiths, our atheist neighbors, all, everyone, to produce good things, to do good things. All of that has been possible because the spirit that brings order from chaos calls us to curate this world. That spirit is still at work. And here's why we should take all of this seriously. There's been a lot of lead-up to the very practical implications of this. This is why we should take it all so seriously. Because we ought to then see that this work that the Spirit is doing is a work that he calls us and leads us to actually participate in. Right? This is why we're spending so much time on this notion. Because as I said when I started, we need to understand the depths of the Spirit's work, both at, at the Spirit's work, both at the beginning of creation, but also right now, the created Spirit of God is still at work accomplishing what the mind of God has set out to do. But second, understanding the Spirit in this way, uh, understanding our relationship to the Spirit and the ways the Spirit works through us ought to bring immense value and meaning to what we do in life. Right? This, this cultural mandate was always to be fruitful and uh, multiply first. Meaning that there's immense value to what God is doing in creation and through families, for example. I mean, there ought to be a depth of realization that as families grow, that growth is part of what God is doing. What God has set his mind out to accomplish. The other part of that creation mandate was that we are to fill the earth and subdue it, which means that whatever work you do, whatever you spend your time doing, can have immense value, even if it doesn't seem like it. The Spirit of God is at work in it. I mean, even the most mundane things that we may find ourselves doing in life can be part of God's creative work because Ruach Elohim is at work. I mean, your, your jobs and careers and even hobbies are all part of creating and curating and developing God's good creation. And in the end, if you are a Christian, the reason for that work, the reason why we can find value in it is not because God's seeking to use us for you know, our glory and whatever we create, but that ultimately what we do is for his glory. Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians, that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. When I think about that reality of everything that we do can bring glory to God, and that when we consider this cultural mandate that Ruach Elohim is working amongst us, again, even the most mundane aspects of life can bring this glory to God when we recognize the Spirit is present, even in the midst of it. I mean, what could be more mundane, to use Paul's language, more mundane than eating and drinking? And yet, there's some way in which, when we eat and when we drink, we can bring glory to God. 
Think about the, the most mundane realities of family life. Even in those mundane realities, we can be, bring glory to God because Ruach Elohim is at work. In our work life, the most mundane things you do at work can bring glory to God because Ruach Elohim is present and at work. Church life can feel mundane. The most mundane realities of church life are part of what God is accomplishing because Ruach Elohim is there. You and I are sub-creators, curators of this creation in all that we do. And so the call would be embrace this cultural mandate in the world, even in the mundane, so that you might participate in the same work of the Spirit, which is to bring glory to God even in those mundane areas of life. With all that said, here's the very real tension that we're going to experience. Because this all sounds great. Sounds great to me. All the mundane things that I do in life can bring glory to God. But we also know that in the world, there's a reality in creation that tends to undermine our ability to really enjoy and embrace what God is doing amongst us and doing through us. And that's, of course, the reality of sin. You know, this cultural mandate that was first given to Adam and Eve, this came before sin had entered the world, before there was this fall of creation. Now, as a result of that fall, we have the tension of uh, wickedness and violence and injustice and evil that exists in the world. For so much, for, well, for as much as we've uh, accomplished as humanity, right? as much as there have been blessings of rain upon the righteous who have done good things with their ability to curate, there's also been much rain on the unrighteous who have used their ability to curate to produce much evil in this world. We experience it not only in our own lives, maybe we experience it in the work that we do, or just watching the news. We know that there are many doing evil things with this great capacity that God gave. They're using that great capacity for injustice and evil. So then, what is God doing in allowing such things to happen? Well, as we said, the Spirit is bringing to fruition all that is set in the mind of God for God to accomplish in this world. Part of that is, of course, for us to be curators with him, to do good things, to glorify him in all that we do as a result of Ruach Elohim being with us. But the last thing that I want us to consider is that God is not just doing something for the here and now, but God, by his spirit, is also accomplishing something that will go into eternity. And so finally, let's take a look at creation future. Um, if the work of the Holy Spirit in creation was really only about the curation of creation or the development of culture as we know it, that would not really say much about uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. The reason is because though there are very commendable things about what we've curated in the world, as we said, there's a lot of good things, but there have also been some grievously wicked things that have been curated in this world. There are all, every culture that exists in the world is a fallen, broken culture, including our own Western culture. Individualism, capitalism, I mean, all these things are not inherently good things. They are fallen, broken things as well. The reason, of course, is that, for this being the reality, is that humans were given this cultural mandate in Genesis 1, but by Genesis 3, our failure allowed for sin to now begin to shape how we understand this creation mandate, this cultural mandate given to us. And it's fractured God's good creation. 
And so since that time, there's been this intermingling of sinfulness and brokenness and also the good development of the world of potential that we live in. But though that brokenness remains, the spirit is not the, uh, just the spirit of creation past and present, but also the spirit of what is to come, this future reality that scripture speaks much about. And this future reality for this broken creation is actually a liberation from all the effects of sin. And this coming creation is one where we see again the triune God at work. And so I want to consider quickly the most concise passage on this notion of what is to come in creation by the Spirit's work. It's found in Romans 8. And again, I have it up for you. Let me read this for you. It is so dense. I feel like we could do a whole sermon series just on uh, this section of Romans 8. But this is what it says, verse 19. For the creation awaits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage of decay to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Let me stop there. So much is happening in that passage. But here's essentially what we can take away from it. The creation, since the fall, has been frustrated by sin. It has, been, it has bound creation to decay. A decay that will literally, eventually, lead to the destruction and the implosion of everything that we know. But then look again at verse 19. What is the creation awaiting so that we might be liberated from that decay? It says, for the children of God to be revealed. What does that mean? Well, Paul explains it in verse 23. He says, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption of some ships, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, our experience of becoming children of God and the redemption of our bodies is what will lead to the liberation of creation. Again, one of those things that's hard to get our heads around. But our redemption is what leads to creation's ability to break free from decay. And all of this is by first the redemptive work of Jesus, right? The one who accomplishes much and who will one day return. And when Jesus returns, those who are in Christ, those who have been, who have experienced this recreation work of the Spirit, those who have this first fruit of the Spirit, will experience the liberation of the creation from bondage. The Spirit will again bring order from where there is chaos by applying the redemptive work of Jesus, both to those who trust in him, but also to the rest of creation. You know, a passage that we come back to all the time is Revelation 21. It speaks of the new heaven and the new earth, where there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. And when we think about that coming day, Revelation 21, and the renewal of all things, this is what we're talking about. The creation being freed from bondage of decay. A work applied to creation by the power of the Spirit. 
something that as we trust in Jesus and his work on our behalf is accomplished through us and in us. Our great hope in life and death is the work of Jesus on our behalf, his life, his death, his resurrection. But the application of that work is only by the power of the Spirit of God, Ruach Elohim, working within us, applying that work of Jesus to us. And the Spirit's presence with us in all of life provides the experience of that hope and the encouragement that in all that we do, the Spirit is at work through us. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, be encouraged and maybe even be left in awe that the Spirit of God, Ruach Elohim, who brought order from chaos at the very beginning of all creation, is the same Spirit that dwells in you now, working through you now, giving immense value and dignity to all that you are part of as these sub-creators, curators with God. But also know that the Spirit is ushering in a new, restored creation that is to come when one day Jesus returns. And that our hope can be not just in what we accomplish now, but what the Spirit is doing even into the future. This is the fundamental work of the Spirit, the presence of God, the divine presence, the breath of God, giving us life and meaning and purpose in this world. I pray that we would see the Spirit at work in us in that way, that we might be able to trust the work of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, to bring, bring great value in all that we do into the future. Let's pray. Father, we come acknowledging um, the complexity and the, the difficulty of what it means to understand the nature of who you are as a triune God. But we also recognize that though there is great depth that we will never be able to understand, there's also simplicity to what your, uh, your scripture teaches us about yourself. Though we might not be able to grasp fully all the intricacies of what it means for you to be this triune God, we can certainly grasp the reality that your Spirit is with us, working in us, bringing great dignity and value to all that we do as we seek your glory. That we can trust that the, the Spirit who brought chaos or brought order out of chaos is the same Spirit that's working in us right now to be, continue to do the same and that even though we live in this broken world we can have hope beyond the brokenness to see that the spirit is at work accomplishing something beyond our comprehension a restored and renewed creation so I pray that we'd be able to, to grasp that reality the reality that your spirit is your presence with us encourage us with that thought we ask all this in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.